The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 28 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am back with Zandrick Ellison. Freshly out of the, I don't, I don't even know what to describe. I guess you were on paternity leave. Is or are we saying that, Zan? Like two weeks of paternity leave? I guess so. Well, it's really been a week, by the way, because little baby Zandrickia, or whatever the name we're going to claim, uh, last Monday. So it was a little late. You know, we were trying to time it, and it's been about seven days. So I'm half awake. But I'm here. I'm back. Tiger Woods is back. Game of Thrones is back. Everyone's got to get back in the game to stay in the zeitgeist. You know. Right. And it's funny you mentioned that. So this is Monday. We are going to record Monday mornings and Thursday mornings until probably at least the NBA finals. So two episodes a week that will air Monday afternoons and Thursday afternoons, just to make sure there's just so much going on. We did not end up doing a preview episode. So what we're going to do is try to make sure that we cover as much of the playoffs as possible. Because like I said, you know, Zan, you leave to attend to family business, which is totally fine. It's cool. You know, you're not that committed. But everything just goes to hell when you leave. Like, we, you know, we have the Lakers, which we talked about last week, and then the Grizzlies firing their coaching staff, essentially, and reassigning a bunch of people in the front office. And then uh, Sacramento, Dave Yeager, just a total hatchet job there. My guy Brandon Williams wins the power struggle. That's what we like to hear from people in our network. Who else? What else do we have? I mean, it, the David Griffin gets hired, and then that's all before the playoffs start on Saturday. I like that you're blaming me leaving on the fact that Sacramento's a shit show and the Lakers are a shit show. I mean, come on. It's just like, it's, it's amazing. You think that these, some of these teams like Sacramento, especially have their ship in order and then it just goes off the rails again. But let's talk about the playoffs first. You want to do what series like going forward on Saturday, let's say what jumped out to you. I let's just start with the first series and Brooklyn at Philly. Super weird situations, and so Brooklyn wins game one. It was almost a blowout at some points. They ended up winning by nine. I think it was 111 to 102. Uh, they were up 15 super early. Embiid clearly hobbled. But I want to go back to a little bit before that. The Josh Harris and Elton Brand had this very weird press conference right before, and people were kind of waiting on an update for Joel Embiid. Like, is he going to play? What's going to happen? And the Sixers now, over the last couple of years, have become just totally notorious for this, where it used to get blamed on Sam Hankey, where they didn't let the media know anything. But... They had said that like Embiid was going to sit out three of the last 10 games. It ended up being a little bit more than that. And then his status comes out as doubtful. And honestly, Zan, like he starts the game on fr- on Saturday, excuse me, and he's clearly not ready to go. Like he's heavy and he, his conditioning is bad. And, and I talked about this with Chris on Thursday's episode. I'm sure you listened. But the, the conditioning issue is, is a real thing. Even if Embiid's knee is healthy, his inability to play, you know, 30 plus minutes a night, 35 minutes a night, game in and game out in the playoffs really hurts them. I'm worried for the Sixers. I told you, I, I bet on the Sixers, I bet on the Nets plus 550 to win the series because I just don't believe in the Sixers without Embiid. And, and they were, they were, in my opinion, frankly, just very bad other than Jimmy Butler on Saturday. And if I was a Sixers fan, I'd be a little bit concerned that like, you don't know anything about Embiid. It doesn't appear like he's ready to go. 
and your team plays so much worse without him, plus all the other shooting woes. But I, I mean, what what do you think? If you're Philly fans, tend to react negatively to begin with. But what do you think? I feel like Philly fans are kind of sobering up. You know, I think they've been promised like this bright, like gold at the end of the rainbow, and it, and it still might be out of reach. But I, I think your point is is the the correct one. That's like the biggest concern is Embiid. And if there's a theme, I thought for the weekend, it's are these 300 pound centers? How are they going to play in the playoffs? I think through multiple series, like you have reasons to be concerned. If Embiid is 80%, like that's a, an issue, you know, or if he's 60%, he played 24 minutes. He, his stats look fine. Yeah, 22, 22 and 15. 15. Yeah. Five blocks. But, you know, as you said, he just didn't look good. He looked at it like his conditioning's not up to par. His shooting is not an issue, but the shooting around him is a huge issue. Like Big problem. I, I did think, hold on, I want to cut you off for a second. I thought the shooting in the first quarter was an issue. Like, I don't mind Embiid shooting threes. Like, I, I told you I'm fine with it. I do think it's a net win for the defense when he takes threes. But, I mean, three straight possessions, he takes just three terrible threes when it appeared that, like, he just didn't want to play offense. And all of a sudden, like, you let the Nets jump out to a 15-point lead and give him confidence. Like, I, I don't – I'm not a huge believer in momentum. I, I, I don't – you know, it's not a tangible thing that you can prove. But, like, I do think if you're Embiid – you need to put pressure on the defense. That's what you do. Like you, you need to open up space. Like you don't need to be the guy doing that in at that juncture. But I don't know. I don't even really want to blame Embiid. Like I, I don't want to blame. I don't want to blame Ben Simmons either. That's the other go-to, of course. Is like people are getting annoyed with Ben Simmons' lack of progress. The fact that he can't shoot at all. And I've heard that time and time again, where it's like the Sixers aren't going to win anything unless Ben Simmons becomes like a jump shooter. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, if, I, if I'm the Sixers, I say, like, how do we win despite the fact that this guy's never going to be a good shooter? Yeah. And to me, it's that you need wings who are making up for it, you know, like a J.J. Redick. Um, but the problem is, like, Tobias Harris is very streaky. Um, he was 0 for 2. And Jimmy Butler's just like an average shooter. So, like, if you, if you surround Embiid and Simmons with average shooting, your offense is going to look like it did last night, or, you know, two nights ago or whatever, three for 25 from three they're just never going to take that next level without elite shooting around them what, what i'll say too is and I, I hate to start this series by criticizing the sixers and not praising the nets because the nets played very well the sixers are obviously not going to shoot three for 23 again but i do want to highlight a couple things the nets did you know they, they overplayed every single like baseline screen action on reddick they were totally fine i think they realized that like look if they were going to get beat back door that, that, that they could make up for that. So it became very hard for Redick to hunt shots. And I have been on this show before saying that despite the fact that JJ Redick just really is a fine, like he's a fine positional defender, but in a scheme, like you can hunt JJ Redick on defense. Like he is not a good defender. Tobias Harris is an awful defender. If those guys cannot make shots, they're borderline unplayable. And that's why when you trade for those two guys, you need better than, I think they were one for six from three, I think Reddick was two for seven from the field, right? And and so was Harris. So you four for eleven and one for six from three is just not enough. But Harris played forty minutes. He played forty minutes for thirty seconds. And JJ, to to your point, was plus minus minus twenty one in twenty three minutes. That's not not great. And normally normally he helps them on offense just because his his ability to get off screens and stuff will open space even if he's not making shots. But I mean the Nets defended him really well. They defended Tobias Harris really well, and that was one of the reasons I think that they jumped out early. But JJ Redick fouled out in twenty two minutes. And I want to give a shout out to Chris Hordell here because he said that they struggle, the Sixers struggle with wings. And the one thing the Nets have, you've got Karis LeVert, who was awesome. You've got Spencer Dinwiddie, who was really, really good. And you've got D'Angelo Russell. So Redick has to guard somebody. He has to. 
Well, you know, I'd love to. I, I think we should focus on like this series and not look too much at the head future. But for Philly, gosh, like, what do you do? Like, to kind of put all their chips in the middle, you know, cashed in with Tobias Harris and, and Jimmy Butler, and those two are going to be free agents. JJ Redick's going to be a free agent. And if they lose this series to Brooklyn, you know, pesky, admirable, but limited Brooklyn team, I mean, what do you do? I mean, is Brett Brown gone if they lose this series? I said to somebody the other day, I sent a text message to one of my friends who's a big Sixers fan, that when they gave that little weird-ass press conference, Josh Harris was not – it wasn't like he was non-committal, but he sort of deflected the question about if Brett Brown was the coach. Brett Brown has been dealt one of the weirdest – poker hands I've ever seen in his head coaching career. He he joins a team where Sam Hinkie's the GM and they're trying to lose games. And, you know, I've, I've, I've praised him. I've been around him a little bit, not a ton, but I, I worked training camp for them. I did some draft stuff for them before I went to the D league, but like super positive guy, really nice guy. Guys play hard for him. He's got some deficiencies for sure. But like, Zan, have you ever seen a coach be put in a situation where all of a sudden they're like, all right, Brett, it's time to win games, but we never gave you a, team to win games with before so like now you get two years and then we shoved our chips in the middle with this awkward roster fit we got impatient we traded for jimmy butler because he was available we traded for tobias harris like and now all of a sudden you have to win i think he's going to get fired and i think it's going to be really unfortunate because i think he's a good coach i do i don't think he's the best tactician i don't but I, i think he's a good coach and i think firing him because the front office panicked is pretty unfortunate to him, but you make a lot of money in this league and that's why. But if they lose this series to Brooklyn, I would expect Brett Brown to get fired. I really would. And I don't think that's the right answer. I think the right answer is looking like I texted you, like looking at your roster and being like, all right, where did we screw up with roster construction and how can we be better? Well, and that's why like, I when you say like the roster is clunky or whatever, when they made the Tobias Harris trade, I thought it was a really good move. I mean, we're t- I mean Tobias was coming off such a hot start to the year. Um, for the Clippers, he was shooting like 43% from three. And, you know, he was playing probably the best basketball of his life. And that immediately plummeted down to, I'm looking it up, 32% for the for the Sixers. And that's kind of more who he is, the fact that he is up and down. And like you said, his defense is consistently bad. So I, I think they just like kind of like you're talking about selling assets and stocks. Like they bought Tobias Harris at a high in terms of like his perceived value. And now we're seeing probably the more traditional Tobias Harris. It's also weird because they could have kept Landry Shamit, who is not amazing, but again, Philly fans tend to be very high and low on everything. So it's like, oh man, we have the best player. Landry Shamit's going to be this like amazing shooter. No, he probably isn't, but he was a good shooting type backup guard that you can use. And then you could have just sub- signed Tobias Harris in the offseason. Like you didn't need... Well, and, and the guy that they, they're going to miss, of course, is Covington, who's, you know, who got hurt. But... I mean, his contract is one of the best contracts in the league. I think he's making $10, $12 million a year for, for a while. And, and there's the whispers that, like, the Sixers should let Jimmy Butler walk. And then when you watch a game like yesterday, or on Saturday, excuse me, when you see how the, the rest of their team really struggles to score without Embiid, even Ben Simmons, who could score, I think, if he wanted to, he's just not kind of built like that. Like, I, I think he's a little bit behind, like, Giannis and LeBron as scorers, but like similar type of skill set where they're more of a distributor. And even Giannis has become way better of a passer as well. But Jimmy Butler's the only guy getting buckets. You know what I mean? Like Jimmy Buckets is back. I think he had 36. Like he kept him in the game. I mean, it wasn't a game without it. I hate, I don't hate Jimmy Butler. We like to hate on Jimmy Butler considering where he, he, he was the one with fight, you know? And, and I think it is important for a young team like that, like who can get deer in the headlights sometimes. Like I, if I'm them, I'd I'd be very hesitant to give Jimmy Butler a big contract past 
three years, but um, I think that he is becoming more and more important to them just because I don't know what this team would ha- be without him. Like, you'd have to really rebuild that, that supporting cast in a way that you might not be able to unless, I mean, is Philly like that appealing of a place to go for like a Kawhi Leonard or something at this point? It seems like they're, hate to say like they're, they're not their ceiling is not as high as we thought just because of the deficiencies we're yeah not about. yet and i don't know if you know like all of a sudden jason kidd gets fired in milwaukee they bring in bud and the team goes from the eighth seed to the one seed and Giannis takes a huge leap with a, you know pretty much the same roster not there, some some differences you know i don't think that's the case with philly because of the the weird fit like milwaukee's roster is just so much more versatile so if you sign Jimmy Butler and you if you re-sign Jimmy Butler, you re-sign Tobias, you're kind of just running it back, assuming you could re-sign JJ Redick, which I I do think Redick probably will would want to stay in Philly. But I agree, Zan. Like this is not the team that looks like it can take a major leap. Not and again, this is right. Well, and, and like Ben Simmons, like shooting, like you know, people say like I hear that so often. Like when he when he learns to shoot, when he learns to shoot, like he's it's never gonna happen. It it's may like, never happen. That's for sure. It may never. happen. It's like the like you know it's like the two hundred and fifty pound girl like you know if she lost weight she'd be pretty cute. It's like she's not gonna lose weight. Like just maybe maybe get her a nice sweater, try to make work with what you have and work around it because it's just like you have to realize people are people. At the end of the day, he could maybe get decent, below average, but he's never gonna be a good shooter. And you just have to build a team with that. I mean, the the reticence to shoot is the biggest concern to me. Like he keeps saying, like, and, and to get to the line, he doesn't get to the line enough for his size and his physical abilities because he's scared to shoot. And, and that's where when guys say to me that like Ben Simmons can become a good scorer, I just don't buy it. You know, like seventeen points a game, like Ben Simmons can clearly score, but you're exactly right, Sam. Like the lack of a free throw rate is is. I mean, he goes to the line five times a game. You're talking about a guy who's six ten, super athletic, like two hundred and thirty pounds, like that guy gets to the lane whenever he wants. Like he should be able to shoot not 10 free throws a game, but he should be at like eight free throws a game. And that's just not the case because like you said, he shoots 60% from the foul line. It's it's not that he doesn't want to get fouled, but like he's just much more of a distributor. And, and, and that's what I always argued when people made like the arguments about like him and LeBron being similar. LeBron wasn't scared to shoot it. At certain points in his career, he certainly was. Like, he didn't want to shoot it against San Antonio in the playoffs. He didn't want to shoot it against Dallas when they zoned him up. Didn't want to shoot it against uh, Boston that first series when he was with – or that last series with Cleveland. But, like, he has always been willing to shoot for the most part. We don't see that with Ben Simmons. And at some point, that's just going to have to happen. Otherwise, like, I I do think there's a ceiling on how great he can become. The Sixers are interesting because, like I said, I don't want to overreact after one game. Do you think – well, yeah, at the end of the day, we talked about it for 10 minutes, talked about the future. The relevant part is this series against a decent Brooklyn team. They're down 0-1 at the time of this taping. Do you think they're going to win this series? If Joel Embiid can play 30 minutes a game, I think they are going to still win the series. I'm kind of like reverse jinxing myself because I, I don't have a ton of money on Brooklyn at plus 550. I did have Brooklyn plus 7 the other day too, so nice little nice little uh, Saturday morning for me. And then I punted a lot of it off on the Masters on in futures bets, but... I uh, I do think the Sixers are going to win. I think it'll probably be like Sixers in six or seven. I mean, I don't I don't want to go. I'll, I'll just say Sixers in seven. But I I think they're too talented. I think Brooklyn. This is their time to strike because Embiid. They have all the drama, the cell phone stuff. We didn't really talk about. I just we don't really know. You know the whole story there, whatever. Um, Brooklyn has a chance if they could 
somehow pull out the next game and go up 2-0, then I think they have a, you know, they're going to be in the driver's seat. Going back, going back home 2-0, but it's so hard now with seven game series and to let for, for something like, cause I do think the talent discrepancy is pretty wide. Brooklyn should be pretty good. They, they play so hard. Like they play so well together. It's a bunch of young guys. I don't love Jared Allen as a defender, but like if MB can only play 20 minutes a game, it doesn't really hurt you. Cause in theory, he should just be able to destroy Jared Allen. That's the one thing that they have that Brooklyn has no counter for is Embiid. But I don't know. I would expect the Sixers to win. But I do think in looking at this, the gap between the Sixers and the top of the East is a lot. But but also, let's let's just jump right into the other East series on Saturday. Like, how the hell did Orlando beat Toronto? I mean... I feel like very differently about those two games you talk about. Like, Philly, I think there's reasons to be concerned. Toronto loses 101 to 104 to Magic. I, it's hard for me to be concerned about them, honestly. Like... They didn't shoot well, of course, like all these teams that lost in round one. But when I watch them, I, I really think Toronto's super talented still. I mean, like, I think they're still working in Gasol and, and the rhythm there. But, I mean, when they go small and Siakam looked great, um, they played Leonard and, and Green at the wing. I mean, they still look as talented as any team in the East to me, honestly. I mean, like, I, I, that's the one loss that I'm not, like, worried about. But tell me I'm wrong. Is there a reason to actually be concerned about Toronto being haunted by the ghosts of playoffs fast. I don't think so. I really, I really don't think so. And one of the things I want to remind everybody who listens is that NBA teams are very good. Like NBA players are really good at basketball with the exception maybe of the Knicks. But so at any point, like a team can win or lose. I am concerned about Kyle Lowry. I don't, I don't want to like, I, I don't know, Zan, like playoff Kyle might be a real thing. He was absolutely, I mean, he was awful. Like he just, I mean, eight, eight assists and seven boards and only two turnovers, but like 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3. Like that ain't just, this just not getting it done, you know? He, we've talked about it on the show before. He has so much pressure on him to be a distributor because of the fact that he's in the game a lot with Kawhi and Kawhi's just not that guy. Like he's just not a secondary playmaker. Now Siakam has become a lot better at that. But if, if Toronto's not going to get any legitimate minutes out of Kyle Lowry, like, or they're going to get a, a severely like deficient Kyle Lowry. It, it's going to be really hard for them to win at a high level. I don't think they're going to lose to to Orlando. Orlando shot I think fourteen for twenty nine from three or something like that. It's not a team that shoots that well from three on a regular basis. Like I would expect Toronto to win this series in either five or six. I, I seriously think that the talent level is way different. But I am worried about Kyle Lowry. I think you see these little cracks in like the foundation early on and they manifest themselves later in the playoffs. And that would be my concern if I was a Raptors fan. I kind of a little understand the concern about Larry. He didn't shoot well, but I mean, as you said, seven rebounds, eight assists. I I don't think he, you know, the wall is definitely coming at some point. He's going to hit the wall just based on like size and body type. And he's over 30 now. I don't really think he's totally there yet, as you would say. And, And the fact they're helped by the fact that Van Fleet is such a good backup. You know, he hasn't, Played maybe as well as he did last year, but he's still top five backup point guard in the league. So I don't really see the alarm. If anything, I came away from this game just being impressed with Steve Clifford and the Magic. And, you know, they play well, they play hard, they're long. Um, I could see a bright future for them, brighter than I thought. Uh, it's just not there yet. Like Augustine is not going to score 25 points a game. Um, they still need, you know, their offense is going to slump badly at some point when the shooting cools off. And I agree with you. I think the Raptors are going to win in five or six games pretty easily. I do think, though, and again, like you said, like Steve Clifford, not a lot of like 
love for Steve Clifford and coach of the year. And I, you know, but a win and doc rivers has a lot of juice for it as well. But like Steve Clifford, just the guy's a really good basketball coach. There's just no question about it. Zan, he, especially that first like initial squeeze where he like gets the most out of you in year one. He did it again. It's really impressive. I also really want to talk about one other thing with the magic, like Aaron Gordon. I, I wish he was on another team. I really do. He's a very good player. And I think on another team, he'd be even better. But he is a phenomenal defensive player. I don't think we talk about guys like Aaron Gordon enough. Like, you know, you talk about people that everybody knows are good players, like Rudy Gobert, like Giannis, like Kawhi Leonard, you know, Draymond Green. Those guys are great. Paul George. Aaron Gordon is an unbelievable positional defender, like one through four, can even guard some fives. Like that guy shrinks the court. And it's fun to watch him in a series like this against Toronto where they have Siakam, who has just turned into an absolute stud. Kawhi Leonard, like Danny Green, like he just bothers everybody. And I, you know, I just was really impressed with the Magic defensively. I, I really was. They're, they're smart. And you see, like, they're extreme. Like, the GM, John Hammond, who came from Milwaukee, did he draft Giannis? I think he did. Um, he has, a, like, a type, you know, length. He, it, length. length, 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 length. But hey, you know, I, I see it. I see the future. Like if, I was thinking like the other day, like, because remember Markel Fultz is on the team now. He's not playing, of course, but he fits like the length at the point guard position. And they got Michael Carter Williams probably with the same thing in mind. If you put Fultz out there instead of DJ Augustine, this could be like the longest team of all time. It, it, especially if Mo Bamba plays ever, you know, like you have Gordon and Isaac and Mo Bamba and Fultz. Like that, that team could average like a six ten wingspan. I do wonder if Mo Bamba is on the block. I know this where you're going to rein me in and be like, let's move on to the next game, and and I will in a second. But I do wonder with Mo Bamba like getting hurt. You just drafted him, and sure, there's a lot of things to like about him. But Ken Burch has come in, and and Zach Lowe just highlighted him in his Luke Walton All Stars piece that you know he he kind of came in and has really shown his role. And I wonder if the Magic think. If we re-sign Vucevic, like Bamba is expendable in a deal to try to maybe get, you know, another younger guard. Like we know that the Magic really coveted getting a point guard, but they're picking in the middle of that, that, you know, they're picking like 16th, I think it is, 16th or 17th. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head, but where there's going to be some different wings for them to get, maybe there's a point guard for them to speculate on, you know, Kobe White or somebody will probably be gone at that point, but I wonder if the Magic are like, look, our front court is fine. Like, we like what we have with Vucevic and John Isaac and Aaron Gordon and Ken Birch. Like, can we trade Mo Bamba to get another legitimate NBA guard? And Well, I think the complication to the vision of the length, 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 like size queen team, I just didn't think they expected Vucevic to play this well. No, I agree. And and have to resign him, probably. I mean, and... Uh, and then, like you said, then you worry about the duplication. The front court is pretty crowded. It's a super interesting, you know, we probably should start the drinking game for every time I say roster construction. But one of the good things, I think, real quick, and then we'll move. But this is the same shit with Charlotte, I think, and Kemba Walker. You got these two guys. Kemba, they, they, they end up finishing ninth. They really battle down the stretch, but don't ultimately make it. Now, Kemba's maybe going to be third-team All-NBA. Maybe not, but eligible for a Supermax if that happens. And Vucevic is also maybe going to be third-team All-NBA and eligible for a Supermax. And I just don't know that if you're paying those guys – I mean, I'm the guy that roots for a team that pays John Wall, who who still stands for John Wall so hard if he's going to be healthy. But, like, can your team ever compete with a title if you pay that type of money to guys like Kemba or or Nick Vucevic? Are they just – or they're just not good enough? Are they just tier two players who had awesome seasons on mediocre teams? And and as a general manager, if you're John Hammond or you're Michael Jordan – you know, or Mitch Kupchak, do you have to let those guys go, Zan? Like that, that's the biggest thing for me. Like it's as, as well as Vucevic has played this year. Um, 
I still think there's some sort of skepticism about him around the league, to be honest. I mean, you know, he was a mid-round pick, not, not a huge name, who sort of like broke out against, you know, everyone's, you know, everyone thought he was just sort of like an empty calorie guy. And suddenly um, they're sort of winning games. games. But he has all the hallmarks of what's like not trendy in the league. You know, obviously he's a big guy. He's like a three-year college player. He's not a great defender in the same way that other elite centers would be. Um, I I don't think the market for him, if if there is a big market, it would be a desperate team, basically. I mean, no offense to him, but like I just, I would be scared to pay him 20 million a year. I agree. But let's not make mistakes, and he's going to get 20 to 25 million a year, maybe more. I mean, and whether that's the Magic or somebody else, like someone is going to pay him. I think, honestly, I think he's going to, I think he's going to get a cheaper contract than people think. Like, I, I just don't think that's like what's trendy in the league right now. I don't think any team is going to go into this offseason thinking we need a scoring center. I just don't know what team that would be, though. It looks like, you know, like it would be like a team like the Lakers who completely whiff everywhere else and decide like, Le- just to like LeBron throw and LeBron and Nick Vucevic. Yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, I, I just I don't even want to be critical of Nick Vucevic. He's been awesome this year. And the, no, like, totally. the Magic won yeah. games, but it's like it's like if, if, if you're paying Nick Vucevic 25 to 30 million dollars a year, it's kind of the same situation in Memphis where like they, they supermax Mike Conley. He, he ends up being the first guy to get that deal. And you're paying Mike Conley $30 million a year. And I love Mike Conley. I've I've talked about it before, but like, is Mike Conley good enough to be your best player or your highest paid player? The answer to me is probably no. But moving on, the only, the one non upset on Saturday, Golden State blows out the Clippers. I I think we expected that. Ends up being a a 17 point win. Curry goes for 38 and 15. He was absolutely spectacular. Probably the biggest story is that Durant and Pat Beverly get into it and get ejected. This is a a sweep. Or I do think, though. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say one fake tough guy and one real tough guy. Like, good for Patrick Beverly. Like, I love Patrick you, Beverly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Durant's going to – I mean, that's Durant's 16th tech or whatever, or 7th tech, like, in the playoffs or whatever. Like, he, he's going to be suspended for a game. It's probably not going to matter to Golden State. This – yeah, this feels like a sweep. Like, it was fun to watch. The Clippers are annoying, but this is not a good they're, – they're not even close to on the same plane as the Warriors. No. I think from the Clippers' perspective, the, what I'd liken it to is, like – they're not trying to win. I mean, they're trying to win the series. They're not going to win the series. But more than anything, like as an organization, I think they just want to look good. And maybe for Kevin Durant, you know, or Kawhi Leonard, like play competitive enough that a superstar is going to look at them and say, look, like they're one guy away. Do you think Do you think that Doc Rivers and Jerry West were like pissed off at Patrick Beverly and they were like, damn it, Pat, we want that guy to come play with us No, nope, I year. think it's the opposite. I think it's like, I, I like it. It's like the, the kid like pulling the little girl's pigtails to get noticed. Like, I think he's trying to impress Durant in a way. Like, I would love to play with Patrick Beverly. If I'm Durant, who's not, he's not a tough guy. You know, like I think he needs like a Draymond barking and backing him up. And like Patrick Beverly would be a great point guard for him. Um, and you have her Harold and, uh, you know, Lou Williams off the bench. Zach Lowe wrote a great article about them um, and their connection. They're locked up for 14 million next year. You have two great scorers off the bench. The bench is strong. You have plenty of cap room. I think that's their plan. I, I would say, Zan, that if you could, if you like to speculate on things, Whatever the Clippers NBA championship odds next year are, like they might come out and be 50 to one before free agency. That might be worth putting some money on because of what you're talking about. Like if they could yeah, add or Kawhi Leonard, like they are set up for Kawhi Leonard. They're set up for Durant. They, they have a good, if roster. they just, if they just got Durant and not Kawhi, I still would say that they probably end up being somewhere in the mix to win the NBA title next year. Not, I don't know if they could do it with just Durant, but the way their roster is, like you said, their depth, their bench scoring, like, 
Doc Rivers, like that puts them closer. If they were to somehow get two of those guys, like if they get Kawhi and Durant or, you know, Durant and somebody else, like maybe, I don't know, Durant and Jimmy Butler, that's probably not good enough, but this is a really good team, you know? It just it just is like they're deep and it's like the foundation is there. It's like if you're building a house like that, it has good bones, you know, as they say. One last thing about the the Warriors, you know, because I think it'll come up more in in round two. Um, we said it before in the show. Boogie Cousins doesn't look a hundred percent, and I I said at the time like when they signed him, as you know, everyone was shocked and thinking how unfair it was, like. I think Boogie Cousins signing is more likely to cost the Warriors the title than it is to help them win a title. Because I think they were going to win the title anyway, and it just creates like a hole, potential hole to attack in the same way like the Death Star has like this one weird hole that they let in and let these rebel fighters get to. Like if Harden can go at Boogie Cousins for 35 minutes a night, you know, that's a blueprint to beat. Yeah, them. we're going to get we're going to get to this. What appears to be a, a Rockets Warriors round two showdown, which I think is going to be pretty interesting. But we'll get to that in a minute. Again, that that's like foreshadowing. And again, it's like this sort of heavy center theme. Like, you know, like are these guys playable. I don't know. I do think Milwaukee and Golden State would be a really fun series just for that reason, because now like you need cousins to guard Brooke Lopez or you got to go small and like can. Burke Lopez guard Durant. I think those two teams, the, the the roster flexibility and the way they match up would be super interesting to see. But I just I just feel like it's just stupid. Like Golden State, like I just wish they like got a buy, honestly. Like it's fun to let the Clippers try and beat them, but they're just so much worse. It's just like it's whatever, you know? Yeah. And and also you'd hate to see like in these meaningless games, quote unquote, like to, that somebody gets hurt or Steph goes down again or something. It would just Do be you think if Steph Curry got hurt, we've seen it once before, but do you think if Steph Curry got hurt, Golden State would still win the championship? I think if Clay Thompson got hurt, they definitely would. That's still not the win. question. That's um, literally. I know. I'm trying to think it in my head. I'm processing. You know, so out of left field. I don't know if injured. I don't know if Durant got hurt. If they would, because I, like I said, I, they need Durant against Houston very badly, and then they need Durant against Golden State or against Milwaukee very badly. I think or Toronto. Like they need a guy who can ISO a bucket too at a certain point, and that's. Durant is so good that he can like grow to the space provided for him. So like to your point, like about the Clippers, like if he was the lone star in the Clippers, he could average 35 points a game on good efficiency. Like he, somebody retweeted this, somebody retweeted this, but I, I don't know what Twitter handle this was. And I feel bad for not crediting somebody, but they, they said like, and this game was an example of it. Like Durant will get you eight points a quarter, every quarter of his life in his sleep. And that's just what you get. But the reason Curry is so crazy is because of his barrage of three pointers in the third quarter, where all of a sudden, like he just ends up with, you know, you look and he's like, bam, he's got forty. You know, he goes from twelve to thirty-five in a five-minute span, and just makes you wonder, like, why you defend guys, you know, or, or how to defend players because he's just like right. that. No, I agree. I mean, he's he's the difference. But to Durant, I I think that if he does leave for New York or the Clippers or wherever else, I think that's part of it, like not getting enough credit, but also just not getting like the trophies. Like he must be watching that like other people win MVP and he might miss he's probably gonna miss all NBA first team and thinking around saying I'm the best player in the league in his mind and I think probably in my mind too. And he doesn't get the credit for it anymore just because everyone like writes it off because it's on Golden State. Like he on his own, he's at the point now where his passing has improved. He is such a complete superstar. Um I think he could really have a monster season next year if he's healthy on his own team. That- and he is the type of guy, like, similar to LeBron. Like, everybody's talking about, oh, all right, LeBron gets a summer off, and, like, we're excited to see what he can do. 
Durant's the same type of guy that, like, in spite of it, is going to watch James Harden score 36 points a game and be like, I can do that too. And it, may, it might hurt their team, you know? Like, Harden's game is perfectly tailored to what the Rockets want to do. They've built the team around him. Like, Durant may show up and just be like, look, guys, I'm the best scorer of all time. Like, I'm going to show you how many points I can get. Like, you could, you could legitimately take that leap with Durant because he just feels like he's this plucky underdog for some reason when you're just clearly not, you know? But, all right, next series on Saturday – San Antonio upsets Denver, uh, 101 to 96 in Denver. In, real, real interesting game to me because Denver just missed a ton of shots. And, yeah, and that's the same. I think Kevin Pelton, your buddy, tweeted, "It's like what happened in the college tournament. Like the teams that made threes won, the teams that missed threes lost. And you hate to think it's that simple, but in, in the first weekend, it was." Yeah, I, I saw Matt Moore, hardwood paroxysm, great follow on Twitter. Just tweets all the time. He tweeted like second second spectrum shot quality, like. Denver, I think that that 49.3% of their shots should have gone in. Uh, They had a huge E-field goal percentage difference. San Antonio shot way over their head, the largest differential of the first game. So I do think that Denver is better than San Antonio. San Antonio is not the most likely team to really upset somebody because of the way they play. But, like, again, Denver, they shoot six for 28 on a ton of open shots. Jokic just... Not a great game, you know, ends up with a triple double. Well, that's what but... I want to talk about. Like when I've been teasing like this, you know, big centers. Um, I'm a little concerned if I'm Denver about Jokic in the playoffs. And it's just for the reason, not defensively so much. It's just like everyone else all around them, you know, Kevin Durant, if he needs to, can play 45 minutes in a game, you know, and at a game seven. Everyone else, all these starters are playing five more minutes than they would in the regular season. Can Jokic with his body type and like, can he play 40 minutes in a night and like must win game? He got up to 36 the other night, but he looked exhausted at times. Yeah. I mean, what did he finish with 10? He, I think he had 10, 14 and 14. He had a triple double, but he, yeah, in 36 minutes and he usually plays about 31 or 32, but I just don't know if he, he can crank it up much more than he, than he does. You know, I, I, the, the nuggets are a very interesting team because again, you want to talk about like the bones of a house being there. Like, if they could somehow add Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant, they would instantly be a title favorite. They're not going to, I don't think. It's just not going to happen. If they could add Anthony Davis, same deal. You know what I mean? But it's probably not going to happen. They still have Michael Porter sitting there. They are incredibly deep. Jokic is an absolute stud. Like I said, first-team All-NBA center for me this year. But the deficiencies of putting him in pick and roll and needing to play him a lot of minutes still exist. Like he needs to play that much better in the playoffs when teams actually scout you. One of the biggest, I think NBA fans misnomer is that the playoffs are similar to the regular season because or, or the playoffs are not different are, are different from the regular season. But I think what fans don't understand is that when you're actually scouting for a specific team, it's, it's very different, Zan. Like, in the regular season, you play 82 games, you're on the road a ton. Like, yes, you have advanced scouts, they give you scouting reports and stuff, but the coaching staff largely focuses, they, they focus on personnel, but then they largely focus on self-scout. Now you're talking about a seven-game series where you're playing the same opponent over and over again, and you have time to legitimately scout them. Like, like Denver, the Spurs are sitting there ready to play Denver. They're, they're not scouting for Milwaukee later on. They're not scouting for the Lakers because they play them two games down the road. They're specifically like, how do we beat Denver? And when you can exploit Jokic the way that teams do and, and run him around and put him in pick and roll and like make him come out and guard LaMarcus Aldridge, like that's very hard for a guy like that. And we know his body concerns. I still think they'll be fine. I, I honestly think this will go six games, and I think they'll, they'll win 4-2. Maybe San Antonio wins one at home, but 
it, it is an interesting thing because, like I said, this is one of those things you see and you wonder, like, all right, is this going to manif- manifest itself in the second round? Is this going to manifest itself if we get to the Western Conference Finals? Like, whether they end up playing Portland or OKC, like, Steven Adams can play a million minutes, you know? Like, that guy is a horse. Can he run Jokic off the floor? Like, can he get the better of that matchup when you, uh, most people don't think he can? Like, I think that's a real issue. I, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. Well, yeah, it's like that. that are you, I know you're not a Game of Thrones guy, but do you watch Star Wars or no? Do you do you like the the original? I've seen franchise? the I've seen the original three, and then I think I've seen like the Phantom Menace. That's the one with the pod racing, right? I watched that one. <laughs> that's the must see of all of them. You gotta you gotta get your pod racing fix. But like the Death Star thing, I, I I thought it was clever. I didn't get enough credit for it. I thought so. I'm gonna try to reiterate it. Um, so in the first one and in the, the re, rerun of the Force Awakens, the same kind of thing, um, they build this Death Star that's like an unstoppable machine. But, you know, you do a little studying and you do a little research, as you said, the advanced out self scouts get in there and they say, hey, look, there's one huge hole in this thing. And if we hit this, you know, we fire at this one little button, the whole thing it blows up. Um, and I think some teams are, are like that. You talk about like, you know, Jokic. Defense, is that the hole that's going to blow them up? Is Ben Simmons shooting in Philadelphia going to be the hole that people can exploit and blow the whole thing up? Um, and teams that have that issue, I think are going to, they're going to have to, um, learn how to avoid that, it destroying them. You know, like how do you work around it? Because Jokic is not going to get faster. Um, Ben Simmons is not going to become a better shooter. So like, can you build a team around them that masks those flaws and defends the base? And I do think, I do think Denver has done a pretty good job defends the base. That's actually, that's very clever. You should get more credit for that. I know. See, I'm half, half awake. I got a baby crying and I'm trying to come up with stuff that I'm getting a little credit. You, but you have always too. And, and I try to avoid kind of like what, and for both of us, like I try to avoid kind of what our biases have been the entire season. But one of your things has always been like, is Denver going to be a legitimate playoff contender? I do think they are. It, it, it's hard to ignore. They're on the right side of the bracket. Obviously, they avoid Golden State until the Western Conference Finals. So like, let's just assume their stealing is the Western Conference Finals. That's what they want to get to. It seems like they have a, a legitimate chance to do that. They're still a they're still a pretty big favorite to win the series. I, I think the new price after they lost, I think they're still... Ah, the Spurs are minus 115 and Nuggets are minus 105. So I, I still like the Nuggets at, at even money to win the series. That's a pretty No, I agree. And, and when we talk about bias, like the, the sort of old school media, like Skip Bayless is probably talking about it right now. The fact that Denver is young, they don't have playoff experience and, you know, the pressure's up, they can't handle it. Like that might be part of it. But I, I do think of more tangible stuff like, look, the depth that helped them so much in the regular season is not going to help them as much in the playoffs. Jokic probably can't play more than 35 minutes compared to other stars. Like there are some actual tangible issues that do um, make translating their regular season success. It's not one-to-one. And most people want to fall into this trap that like it's Mike, it's uh, the Spurs and it's Greg Popovich. And so like that makes them, you know, way more likely to upset a team like Denver, who, you know, you would think that they don't have a coaching advantage or whatever, but Nate Duncan tweeted, I'm trying to find this, that Nate Duncan tweeted that like Popovich has no, not a very good record of like upsetting teams in the playoffs, like just not a very good record of being the lower seed and winning a ton of games. Like they've been the higher seed so often, but it's like not really, not really a situation where you can just rely on the Spurs to to win games, you know? Like No, they, they don't have a playoff gear to turn up. Like and I liken them to Brooklyn against Philly in that way. Like they're good, they're well coached, they're consistent, they're gonna give you like a six out of ten. And so if Denver loses or Philadelphia loses, um 
I, I tend to think it says more about them that they weren't able to meet that bar. There's some hole in their team versus like these consistent, pretty good teams. I would agree with that. That that actually makes more sense, I think. And it's like, here's the tweet from Nate Duncan at Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter. Great follow. Does an awesome show with Danny LaRue. But Spursman upset far more than they've done the upsetting. Lost his favorites in 01, 04, 06, 11, 12, 15, and 2016. Like one of the best coaches ever, but like not an amazing playoff coach. And it's and there's been this kind of argument about it's kind of shows like Pop's ability to grind a regular season out with, you know, I guess inferior talent, which I believe he did this year. And they just, you know, get 45 wins because that's like what the fuck they do. But yeah, I would agree. Like Denver. I, I, mean, I agree with you, Denver. I would still bet to win the series in probably six games or so or something like that. I, I, but, you know, we'll see. Again, it's like it's like Brooklyn and Philadelphia. Like if. If they could strike while the iron's hot and try to step on their throats now, then Denver may panic. Correct. Correct. And like I said, at the end of the day, I just don't think San Antonio is going to make enough shots. uh, And Denver is. But we'll see. The playoffs happen for a reason. Uh, Let's switch to Sunday real quick. Let's just lump these two in together. The East was boring as hell. So Boston wins 84-74 in a rock fight. I mean, that's probably the least interesting series. I, I would take that back, actually. Milwaukee crushes Detroit. Like, not even a game. Blake Griffin's apparently going to miss the whole series. Milwaukee's going to sweep Detroit. That that's that series. It's yeah, that series is boring. We may not talk about it at all, just so people know. Boston a little bit more interesting. Trying to weather this whole Marcus Smart injury. He's allegedly going to miss. He would maybe be back with this thumb injury in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know that Boston will get there. You know, they they should be a substantial dog to Milwaukee in my opinion, but. They're not holding. Well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't be? And at this point, but let's. I think to your point, like Boston's going to win easily four or five games. Milwaukee will win like in two games. Like Detroit might just like pack it up, you know, throw in the top. Right. So the other two interesting games. So Port- Portland and OKC. I think that we have. I have been very high on Oklahoma City. You have been high on Oklahoma City minus Westbrook, who you are as low on as anybody else is. I mean, super interesting game. Like. Oklahoma City doesn't make any shots, like you said, and Portland as a home game, final as a home team, finally wins a playoff series. It's pretty amazing that Portland got the three seed. Damian Lillard's probably not going to be first team All NBA. He'll probably be second team, but probably should get some MVP votes. To be honest, maybe should be in that top five for what he did with that team. CJ McCollum's finally back. They win one hundred four to ninety nine, and. I don't know. Are you worried if you're Oklahoma City? I mean, it's losing a game on the road in the playoffs shouldn't be miserable, but it, it felt like this was a really winnable game, and Paul George was just not great. Russ was 8 for 17, but 24, 10, and 10. Like, I mean, what do you think? Like, I think a lot of people thought Oklahoma City had a real chance to get to the Western Conference Finals. And- I did. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have picked it. I think you did pick it. Not to throw you under the bus, but um, I uh, – Look at the end of the day, I picked Denver. Uh, Oklahoma. I picked Denver just so we're clear. I've said I thought I said I thought Oklahoma City, which is also not great, but I said I thought Oklahoma City could get there. They are better than I mean Oklahoma City and Denver don't match up. I mean Denver doesn't match up great with Oklahoma City, but I, I think that, I just thought Denver was too talented, honestly. No, I agree. I, I I struggled with that too, picking that side of the bracket. This is the side of the bracket that doesn't have Golden State and Houston, so it is sort of like it, it's very winnable for all these teams. Um, Oklahoma City, you know, I think you're right. Like, I don't know if it's panic time. They lost by five points in a game where they shot five from 33 from three. And their shooting's probably not going to get a ton better, but it's going to get a little better than that. I, I think they are who we thought they were, kind of, you know? Like, uh, you, they're sort of not quite um, the elite team that we've seen the second half of the year. They've just sort of been a pretty good team that I don't think 
Um, if Paul George is not going to play as well as he did in the first half of the year, it probably doesn't have as much upside as we thought. Yeah, I agree. It makes me so upset to see Andre Roberson just not get back healthy. Like, and he may never be healthy again for all we know, but it just makes their lineup so much different. Like, you know, they only played, I think they only had like 60 minutes of bench minutes last night. Really only, you know, Paul George is going to play every single minute he can. I think he played 43 minutes last night, but Markeith Morris only 13. Nerland's only 12. Raymond Felton got 10 minutes. And then Dennis Schroeder gets 36 minutes, shoots five for 17, goes 0 for 7 from three, three assists. Like, that's just not good enough. I just wish they had one more piece. I wish Terrence Ferguson was a bench player instead right. of a starter. Well, it, suck. it sucks for them that, like, in terms of roster construction, as you say, their best backups are Noel, who's, I think, really he good. He is very you know, good. The world, the, the world doesn't always agree. But, you know... He, there's only so many minutes you could play as a pure center next to Steven Adams. And then I mean, Zan, your guy goes for eight and six in, in 12 minutes last night. Like he's very clearly an energy difference maker for them. And then Schroeder, who I, I think is overrated, but he's at least, you know, a competent playable NBA player again is a pure, I guess, point guard, I guess that's what he's supposed to be. But like the, you, you wish that this team had more wings and they're just like the sort of top heavy bottom. Head. It, it, it bothers me a little bit that Patrick Patterson can't play. I don't get it. Like Markeith Morris, not sure how healthy he is, but trying to do way too much on offense. And I think that was part of the reason why they shrunk their rotation. But again, like Oklahoma city, let's say they do get out of this series. Like you're just hanging your hat on the fact that Russ and Paul George and Steven Adams can play 40 minutes a night, every single game until they lose. And I, I you know, that's not a great recipe, getting over to Portland for a second because this, this should not be limited. Like they're in the same boat, you know, like they, they don't play their bench a ton. Rodney Hood, 22 minutes, but Seth Curry was very good off the bench. Evan Turner was, was pretty good. Uh, a good contributor, not a great scorer. My guy, Zach Collins, they just refuse to play him that much. It's fine. But Dame and CJ and Aminu and, and Enos Cantor, like that's sneaky pickup. He goes for 20 and 18 in a game where they have a true center to play against him. They needed him yesterday. I mean, he, he had to play. And he, he filled in fine. And it's a, it's a good matchup for him in the sense that, like, Stephen Adams is not going to bring him out and test his lateral ability that much. Um, but my takeaway to Portland is what you said. Like, Damian Lillard, I think at this point, tell me if you agree. Like, I think he's the most underrated player in the league, almost. I mean, it's crazy to it's, say. It's I think amazing he, for a guy with his sort of numbers and, you know, he's got a signature shoe and he's like a rapper. And he's just – maybe it's because he plays in Portland and – People on the East Coast don't get to see him very often and even, you know, but man, he is so freaking good, Zan. Like, yeah, and I think he's really hurt by like the fact that James Harden exists in the world because he's sort of like a light version you know, of High that. usage, deep threes, like not, he's not quite as good a distributor, but he's a great scorer and it's like James Harden is just better than you. Yeah, and yeah, kind of like I often describe Kemba Walker as like Damian Lillard light because they, they do the same thing. Kemba's just not quite as good as Lillard and Lillard's not quite as good as Harden, but in another era, like if Harden didn't exist and maybe Steph Curry didn't exist, I think you're right. We'd be talking about Damian Lillard like we used to talk about Derrick Rose as like a potential MVP candidate. Like he's carrying this team. Um, and I think one of the reasons they were slept on, you know, when I watch Portland this year, their success this year, and so far in the playoffs, it's been one game. It makes me think of Virginia, the you know college team that we both picked to win the tournament. And they did. After they lost last year, in that one to sixteen game, it was so devastating. People just immediately write them, them off. Yeah, just wrote them off. And after the sweep last year, no one's picking Portland to go far. No one's excited about talk about Portland. Um, a lot of people didn't pick them to make the playoffs. And then here they are, like taking a step forward, just as UVA did, um, and kind of like exercising those demons. And um, 
I think they're they're a really interesting team. I mean, I, I think, you know, just of having this one star who's that good and that efficient and can attack certain matchups so well, like I, I think they're their chances of making the conference finals are underrated. I yeah, I, I think there were three series in the first round, and everyone loves the first round of the NBA playoffs. That way they talk about it. But I thought there were three series that were particularly interesting. I thought this was one of them. I, I did think Oklahoma City was going to win. I, I won't uh, pretend like I did not. And, and they still might. Obviously, it's one game, but and they're still on the road. But I, I think Oklahoma City, Portland is one of the more interesting. Philly and Brooklyn, the only reason I thought that was because of the Embiid injury. And then the other one, I, I mean, Utah and Houston – Super interesting. But but like to stick on this series for one second before we go to the James Harden show, Damian Lillard and what he provides for Portland in terms of confidence, like he is an unbelievable leader. And I hate talking about intangible things when you're not in the locker room and you can't see. But they're up one, and he takes a, a logo three last yesterday in the afternoon, just bangs it home to be up to go up four. Like, and his teammates just believe in him. Like nobody's angry at him for taking that shot. Nobody thinks he's selfish. Like, and they actually survived. They they, they did not shoot it well from two. They shot it great from three. I think forty four percent. I think they made eleven threes. Got to the foul line, uh, twenty seven free throws. I think they attempted. So you know, Lillard nine for twenty one, McCollum nine for twenty four. But those guys combined for eight threes. They shoot eight for eighteen from three. Like. If those guys are really going to score it, Oklahoma City is a team that like you don't necessarily need to mask your defensive deficiencies because they just don't shoot it that great. So this may end up being a better matchup for Portland than we think if they can kind of play, like you said, a little bit like Rockets light and try to shoot them off the floor. Like It's harder for Oklahoma City to play a game like that. They want to grind you down and play a game in the 90s. That's their style because they just don't yeah. have the shooters to match up if they have to take 33 threes a game. And ultimately, like Paul George goes four for 15 from three. Ferguson goes one for two, and no one else makes a three. I agree. I thought this was going to be the best series. It's the closest series, and it was the closest game one. Um, and I, I disagree with you in the sense, like, I, everyone loves round one. I usually don't like round one because they're usually like Milwaukee, Detroit kind of games. But this is one of the few that I think if I had to pick right now, I would say it goes seven. Um I don't know who would win either, to be honest. I'm going to say Portland just based on like Virginia winning and just feeling like that's like their time to shine. And, you know, for them, a round one win would be like really. Well, and you're going to fade Russell Westbrook until he's out of the NBA, but which is fine. I mean, again, like he was not, I mean, triple double yesterday, like he he was good, not great. And Paul George was not his usual self. Playoff P wasn't there. Russell Westbrook, not to go off on a Russell Westbrook tangent, I was just. I'm half awake, you know, I'm dealing with this baby on me and I'm on Reddit, of course, you know, just like killing time, just making sure this baby doesn't die and um, it's trying to stay awake. And then we're talking about somebody saying, you know, Westbrook, you know, Oklahoma City fan, Westbrook should get a lot of credit. He helped lead the team to the finals. And I'm like, that's true. He also is part of the reason Oklahoma City will never win a title. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. And if they would have traded Russell Westbrook instead of James Harden, they would have won multiple titles. And the guy was like, and you obviously can't, that was you hard can't, to do at the time. Okay, I, I said it at the time, but but I but you also not. you also don't know that like that that's oh it, I know no, but like here here's the, we that. see the problem like James Harden is also oh man I love James Harden you keep texting me like who's going to win MVP we know it's going to be Giannis and I still have such a problem with that because not not that I don't think Giannis deserves it but it just it feels like I said Harden's season this year is going to be marginalized into like it was good but. He wasn't the MVP, whatever. Harden's also an alpha. Like, we don't know how him and Durant would have ended up gelling. The fit was better, but, like, we don't know how he would have ended up gelling because we're watching, like, Daryl Morey, my guy, 
built this team for James Harden. He is the engine of this luxury car. Oklahoma City was not going to get built that way. And so a lot of different things happened, but like you can't you That's can't fine, say Oklahoma like the, City the 25. Yeah, yeah. But you can't say they won. I'm just saying they're 20. They, they might have won multiple titles if they didn't if they traded Serge Ibaka though. You know? That's true too. But here's my point. Like Harden doesn't have to be the 35 point scorer for them to have won titles. He could have been the 25 point scorer who was efficient. And so this is my, this is the thread. I just found it. Like, and my my biggest argument was the perception of Westbrook. And so the guy responded. He said, "You know, Westbrook may not be as good as Harden, but he's close." And I'm like, "He's not close. He's really not close." And, and to the true shooting this year, just to highlight it: fifty percent for Westbrook, fifty percent Harden, sixty one percent. And then the guy writes, "You're using shooting percent for this season. Like we could have known that six years ago. That's stupid." I said, okay, well, six years ago, at the time of the trade, Westbrook shot 54%, Harden 66%. I mean, it's it's not close. I mean, that's a huge spread. One day we'll just have to do an entire show on your 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 There's 2012 like Oklahoma City like mistakes, and it's, it's totally well, fine. And, and, you know? you like, know I don't think Houston gambled on Harden being an unbelievable playmaker, which ended up being the truth, and then they put the right coach in place to kind of unlock the last bit of what we're seeing and which is an all-time great hall of fame caliber player westbrook's going to go to the hall of fame tuesday and you know that he's gonna make it of course but um and i like you know i'll give russell westbrook a compliment one of the reasons that that series this oklahoma series portland series is going to be so good is westbrook's not going to go down without a fight like you know he's he may shoot 40 yeah he may shoot 40 shots in game seven he might go five for 40 but like it, it could happen you know he's going to take it personal and I, I guess I guess I don't I don't hate him in the sense like I just I like I hate things that are overrated in my opinion. And so for him, people to hype him as a top ten player over Damian Lillard, let's say, I think Oklahoma City would be a much better team with Damian Lillard. Man, I don't. Wow, that's a really interesting, really interesting point. And I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't know that I disagree with that either. Like like the Lillard Westbrook kind of comparison. If you're like, okay, you get to pick one to start your team. Obviously, I. I think they're around the same age i'm not sure quite how old either one of them is westbrook just one year in college lillard four but or westbrook two because he was redshirt freshman but i i don't know who i would take i mean again it's very hard to ignore what russell westbrook does bring to the table while also it's hard to ignore what he does not bring to the table and i'm more of a what i'm just curious like what does he bring to the table in your opinion besides like energy and defensive rebound he's an he is a very good playmaker one of the best in the nba there's no question about it he stretches the d he keeps you on your heels he's a beast in transition like russell westbrook is unequivocally one of the best players in the nba like there's no doubt about that like is he one of the five best no is he one of the 10 best maybe maybe so i i don't i'm I'm not gonna sneeze at a guy who is averaging a triple double for the third straight year knowing exactly how hard he plays because you can never take a rest against russell westbrook and that is something zan that like Guys in the NBA don't do. They take plays off, and he never does that. He wants to just rip your throat out every time he plays. I, again, like I'm not saying he's one of the even the four or five best point guards. I, I don't know where I'd rank him, but I know that if like I needed to play pickup and I needed somebody on my team, like and I wanted somebody who I knew was going to play their ass off and they were going to contribute in a ton of ways, I might be able to live with the shooting deficiencies. I, I might be able to. I, I don't know that it's so cut and dry. Like I do, I would rather have shooting on my team, so I probably would take Damian Lillard. Probably I mean, it's, that's, that's the league we're in. I mean, that, at the end of the day, you hate to say it's as simple as your your skill is just as good as your true shooting percentage. I don't mean to say that. But 
it's just if you're not a good shooter and, and I think there's a real lane for him to be a great, great player, top 10 player. It's just not shooting 20 shots a game. It's not shooting six threes a game. And, and the fact that he's been like enabled to do that is hurt. But the problem is – the problem with this is that you can't tell him – when you tell him to stop looking for shots, then you end up with a guy like Rondo who is hunting assists and is just a, a, a counting stats whore. And a lot of people say that about Westbrook, but he doesn't actually play that way. Not this year. He has played much within the role of the offense – and unfortunately, like he's just not a great shooter. That's just the bottom line. And guys are giving him open shots because that's the best way to kind of guard him. But if he's not going to take shots and guys are going to play off him, it's going to limit the other aspects of his game. He has to shoot. Like we, we Right. Well, and also you could say that about he is at the mercy of his team. He doesn't have great shooters around him except for George, who's, you know, probably hotter than he historically is earlier in the season. And that's probably their only guy who's a reliable shooter. I mean, so I'm, I'm serious. If, 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 I, if I was defending Westbrook, I'd say put him on a team surrounded him with shooting, then he would see how. I, I agree with that. Like if, if you if you just flip flopped, like I don't I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like if you just if you just put him on a team with like Milwaukee instead of like Giannis, like I'm not saying that he would average the same type of numbers, but like yeah, could he average 25, 15, and and 11 on Milwaukee? Probably he could because yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll give him that. Like I think this team is. It's, it's suited to his stats, but it's not suited to his efficient stats because they don't have the right pieces around. Correct. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And and then also, too, if they play with Roberson, like that's a guy that people play off of as well. So they're able to swing the ball a little bit better and attack closeouts a little bit better as well. And, and again, like I said, if Markeith Morris starts making some shots, like if they get some bench help from somebody, then it'd be a little bit better. But then when you play him with Dennis Schroeder and the, the two of them go 0 for 11 from 3 together, it's like you're not going to win a lot of games. But – your your Russell Westbrook takes just hijack the chat. It's 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 so great. But last last game, uh, late game Sunday night, Utah at Houston, four five. Two of the, I mean, I thought these were the second and third best teams in the West going into the year. I still think Houston's the second best team. Not sure about Utah. Houston wins big, one twenty two to ninety. Uh, really blow it open in the in the third quarter, outscoring by twenty. It was a, it was a close game at that point. You know, it was twelve going in into the fourth. Yeah. yeah. But Donovan Mitchell, just just not one for the highlight reel. You know, like he's a guy that plays a ton of minutes, but seven for 18, no assists, five turns, five rebounds. It's just not going to get it done. He was terrible on offense. And, you know, you're, you're, their, their whole team really was, was very bad. Jay Crowder, one for nine from the field. Joe Ingles, one for four. It looks like a game that Ingles might not be able to play in. And they're going to have to play him. But Houston is... Very scary. Daniel House was awesome last night. Really good passer. Just showed a little bit more playmaking than they got from Ariza last year. He's not going to be the same shooter and defender. But I think that Houston has some chance to beat Golden State in the second round if they are to beat Utah, I think. I agree with you. And, and let me rephrase maybe my Harden Westbrook as Westbrook hate. Again, it's more like Harden is so historically good, as you've pointed out all, over and over again. Like what he is doing night in and night out is, is pretty unprecedented given his workload. Um, and that's why it's hard for Utah to be like, look, you have your star. We have our star. Our star is Donovan Mitchell. Your star is James Harden. We're at a disadvantage every night. Like he's Harden is just so much better than almost every star in the league. And it's, it's, it's hard to overcome. And the fact that he has the durability and the strength to do it, um, for 40 minutes every night. Like there's no, like we're not getting to the point where he does it three out of five times. It's, it's pretty much every night. 
And and that's why there there was an interesting take going on Twitter the last couple of weeks. And Nate Jones uh, was one of the initial pers- people to say it was that like Houston really should think about like look for the, for the, for Houston the bottom line is like you got to get past Golden State. That's the bottom line for every team in the Western Conference. So like you're going to play them at some point if you keep winning. Chris Paul has never held up for a long playoff series. He obviously gets hurt. James Harden has played a million minutes this year with an unbelievable load on his shoulders every game. And the argument was like, maybe it'd be better for them to play him in the second round because those guys might have a little bit more mileage in the tank. And, and you, you know, you're, you need what I, I guess you need, you're going to need seven healthy games out of Chris Paul. And maybe you have a better chance of getting that in the second round than you do in the third round. That's a great point. I didn't and, think about that. And I think that, while that seems crazy, because if you lose in the second round after you go to the Western Conference Finals and lose in seven, some people might look at that as a failure. The bottom line is if you can't beat Golden State, you can't make the finals anyway. So you got to beat them sometime. So why not think outside the box a little bit? And they didn't tank. Don't get me wrong. They lost on a buzzer beater to Oklahoma City. They were trying to win the game. So it's not like they wanted to get fourth. But if you're looking at it from that standpoint, Maybe this Houston team, like maybe this series against the Jazz. I thought this was going to be a dogfight. I really did. And they blew them out last night. Harden 29, 10 and 8 on 26 shots. Chris Paul 14 and 7. Capella was very good 16 and 12. Like I said, ton of minutes out of Fareed and Daniel House like that, that contributed. I don't think these will be 30 point blowouts. I think Utah will steal a couple. But like maybe this series ends up being they beat Utah in four or five games because it's just a bad matchup. They pull Gobert away. They get him in switches. It, it, either one team that really bothers Rudy Gobert. So maybe they, they they dispatch Utah easier and they come in like ready to go against Golden State. This is the, the one thing with Houston is they know their roles. Like this isn't a machine in terms of what their offense looks like. So maybe they are the best equipped, even with as good as Milwaukee and Toronto are. Maybe the best chance we have to see Golden State lose is in the second round of Houston. Because I don't think home court advantage really matters quite that much to a team like this. I think that's a really interesting point. The idea of getting them early while Chris Paul is healthy. I think the flip side would be the longer you wait to play Golden State, the more likely it is that Curry's not 100%. So if, but, but I think at this point, Chris Paul is more injury prone than Curry. So it makes sense. Um, and I think to your point, I totally agree. Um, Houston is best equipped to beat Golden State. I think more so than Milwaukee. I think more so than Toronto. Um, because if, if there's that hole in the Death Star, Harden is the most equipped to take advantage of it. I don't think Giannis is in the same way. I think the fact that, um, you know, Golden State is going to have bodies to throw at Giannis. There's not that much you can do on a Harden switch or even a Chris Paul switch. You know, like they're going to they're going to ha- be able to score. And it's just like if he has 40 game point nights, um, they have a puncher's chance for sure. Yeah. And, and, and in that situation like I I do feel like if the finals ended up being Milwaukee and Houston which I don't want to go out on a limb and say I think it's going to be that I, I think I think Houston has like a 20% chance to beat Golden State which I think is high in all very honesty. high yeah I agree I think if the price was right I would bet Houston just from a value perspective because I do think that Golden State's going to just destroy the Clippers and it, you know it's going to be like a, a point differential of like 104 games or something and they're going to roll in, and Houston's going to be a little battle-tested. But Houston's not going to be scared. Like, Houston, that's the one thing about this is, like, I think there are coaches that are like, holy shit, how the hell do we beat Golden State? I know that they would tell you to your face, like, look, we, we got to do this, and we'll have a chance. I think there are a lot of coaches that are like, fuck, we just can't do it. I don't believe that with Houston. They have constantly tinkered and added guys and taken guys away to try to figure it out. You were critical of Daryl Morey before, which I think was very much warranted. 
if Daniel House is good and they've solved a little bit of their wing problems, they might have a chance. And like, I don't expect their bench to give them, I think their bench scored 20, 25. They got 34 bench points, but they did clear their bench late. So those guys played all like an extra three minutes with the game in hand. But I mean, 11 and six from Kenneth Fareed, like, there you go. You got an energy guy. Like, I mean, Daniel House gives you 11, three for 10 from three. It's another guy that can shoot and make an open three. I like Houston. I think they're peaking at the right time. They finally have Paul and Capella healthy. P.J. Tucker is just an animal for how physical he can be without fouling. If they let Houston muck the series up against Golden State like they did before, I think they have a puncher's chance. I really do. I do want to say with well, Utah. I, I, I want to say one thing, though, about Houston in that, in that series. I don't think Golden State would lose to Houston. I don't think there's a chance, really, that they'd lose to Houston if they played the right lineup. And no offense to Boogie, it's just it's going to be a tough series for him. And so if they if they can play Iguodala and just play that old death lineup, I think they would handle Houston. But if they feel forced to play Boogie thirty minutes a night, twenty they'll, they'll play him twenty minutes a night. He has to play twenty minutes a night. And but it should come again when Harden's not on the floor and he's taking advantage of like Kenneth Farid and Nene or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And every game that Houston has, like last night, where Harden can play thirty two minutes instead of thirty eight minutes, is an uh, a, even more of a win for Houston. Yeah, and credit to your point, like Chris Paul, if Chris Paul can get through the series, he played 32 minutes last night cruising, if they could just run, you know, five-game series. I'm disappointed in Utah, though. I mean, I agree with you. I thought they were probably the third-best team. And just to go bear on paper, 22-12, and 12, it, he still doesn't look comfortable. I mean, no, yeah, what, you're right. What do you do with this team if you're Utah? Like, I mean, they, they just, they're so good at drawing Gobert out and – you know, Ricky Rubio actually making some shots in the second quarter kept them close for a little while. But it's like, you the problem with, it's just James Harden is the one guy that neutralizes rim-protecting big men more than anyone else. And again, I think you need to, you need to force Harden right. You need to force him to finish at the rim. But he is, if you sink into the lane and if you're not ready to help, if you, you don't have wings ready to go, like he will just brutalize you in switches. Like, step backs getting fouled like getting to the rim I think Utah needs to sink into the lane and force Harden to drive it I just think they need to do that and they they tried a little bit like there's a clip going around online of Ricky Rubio behind Harden to try to get him to go to the rim uh, to the rim but if you do that you can't help off shooters like and I think that's what Utah needs to do they need to turn this into sort of a two-man game and just make Harden really destroy Gobert and if he can do that you know, it's back to the drawing board in the offseason for Utah, but I, I really do think they should look at like Utah's or they should look at how Milwaukee defended Harden and try to do that with Rudy Gobert because you do have ultimately, you know, in my opinion, he's this I think Embiid at full strength is a better defender because he just shrinks the court a little bit better than Gobert does, but he's never at full strength. So let's just say Rudy Gobert is the best big defender in the NBA. You need to make Harden drive it on you you need to make him take floaters you need to take his distributing out of the game and you need to kind of limit him to taking more deeper threes like don't let him get fouled and I don't I don't see that being the case right now I mean he did only shoot three free throws last night so that's a win but again it's you know tennis and he lost by 30 so, so I don't know it'll be very interesting to see what adjustments Quinn Snyder makes and like I said a lot of the problems in my opinion were not necessarily like look Houston averages like 115 points a game I didn't think Utah was terrible defensively, but they were terrible offensively. I mean, like I said, four shots for Joe Ingles in 32 minutes. Donovan Mitchell just turning the ball over. Like They turned the ball over 18 times, you know? Gobert, four turnovers. Derek Favors, three turnovers. Ricky Rubio, it is what it is, but, like, you need guys to make shots. This is what their bench 
Jay Crowder, one for nine. Royce O'Neal, one for five. Thabo Sevalosha, one for six. Like, those are not guys you need shooting three for 20 from the field, Zan. They may just not have enough offense. No, I don't think they do. And, and um, I, I I don't have a high hopes of them. I think they could win a game or two. But how? In the NBA playoffs, you – Well, I, I think Harden's going to have a bad game eventually. Mitchell, I think, is, is more inconsistent than people – Thing. Yeah, he was really good. Honestly, he was awesome the second half of the season. But I agree with you. You can force him into a ton of bad shots and making right. him a playmaker. Like, he can always have the one good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he can, can have four hard one out of yeah. seven times. Um, so going forward, we looked at all these games. The first round tends to be kind of cakewalks for the top seeds. If you had to watch, just to put a button on it, if you said you, your time is limited, you could only watch the rest of one series. Which series do you think is going to be the most entertaining to watch that you want to see the end? Well, I'll, I'll give you one in both. I, I, I think the two that I would most want to watch, I, I think I, I would. I don't anticipate missing a Philly and Brooklyn game. I'll like to see some of the adjustments that Brett Brown decides to make. I think Philly has the chance to get real tight because, like I said, they could lose and Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler could both be like, hey guys, we're not interested in coming back because this team has an absolute ceiling of the second round of the playoffs. Uh, so I'm going to for sure tune into that. And then I, I mean, Portland and OKC to me is the only other series that I think is really fun. Like Toronto and Orlando will be interesting, you know. Like I do think Houston and Utah is one that I won't miss. <laughs> but the Portland OKC one has the potential to really swing one side of the bracket because I do think that is a very close to 50-50 series. I, I think that seeing Portland win at home by five doesn't make me think that Oklahoma City is definitely losing, you know. No, absolutely. And those are the two series I think were the obvious candidates. Just Philly, just because of the, the shakiness of like the, the situation, the coaching situation, the injury situation. But I, I tend to agree. I think Portland, Oklahoma City is the, the series that I'm most looking forward to watching just because those seem like the most even teams at the moment. What do you think? I want to do one thing before we go. I don't want to talk about Game of Thrones or TV, but one. What about coaching? You don't want to talk about coaching or going to? I, I, don't, I don't feel the need to, given how good I thought the first round of the playoffs was. We can get back into it as guys get hired. I, I just don't like to speculate about stuff like that. Like I said, David Griffin to the Pelicans, it'd be awesome if all of a sudden he traded for LeBron instead of trading for Anthony, trading away Anthony oh, Davis. Yeah. That'd be amazing to me. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Luke Walton gets fired. And I told you this. I, this is the one thing I know for sure. Like, I think that the Lakers were prepared to roll with Luke Walton for another season but not give him extension. And I think he knew that he could go to the Kings. So I do believe that they got together and Luke was like, hey, just let me go. I'm not going to – you don't have to pay my buyout and I'll – you know, go coach the Kings. So that's fine. But, I, you know, the rest of the coaching searches, like. Well, did you, I don't, you, I know you talked a lot about magic last week, but did you talk about, you know, Sacramento loving Luke Walton? Like what? We didn't. Cause that news hadn't come out yet. I don't, I, again, I don't know. It's weird. Cause like Luke Walton, like had so much buzz early in his run in the Lakers, but now I thought his image had been so tarnished and his star- that he might have trouble getting another job right away. We, but we talked about LeBron being a, an underrated coach killer. And I think that the rest of the league views LeBron as such, that that is sure you win a lot of games when he's at full strength because he is, you know, one of the best two to three players of all time. But it is very hard to coach him. It is very hard to deal with the off-court distractions. And I think, I mean, the Kings are just a shit show to begin with. Like, I have no idea if Luke Walton would be good there. Like, Dave Yeager did a great job with their team. This was their best season in several years. Like, it made no sense to fire him. Other than the fact that we knew they had a front office and coaching clash, this is now the second time Yeager has kind of gotten fired because of that I I feel like both times it seems like it was the front office and not him that was the issue but we don't we don't know we're not behind the scenes there but Luke Walton like maybe people think he's a good coach managing personalities is good it it seemed like he did an okay job of that this year being like I said just 
given just a really untenable situation. No, and he seems best suited for a young team like, you know, Sacramento that the Lakers were supposed to be. Uh, I'm surprised it was just so quick. You know, it was like so much love, like he was the hottest free agent in town. You know, and on paper, Yeager's resume is better. It is. It is. I mean, Dave Yeager is a good basketball coach. Like, there is no question about that. Like, he has done more with less than a lot of coaches in the NBA have. He just hasn't really gotten... A big opportunity. Also, Chris Wallace getting fired or, or reassigned like in Memphis. Kind of a shame, but that is officially the end of the grit and grind era. We talked about that early in the year, but he had put together those grit and grind teams that were very good and caused problems in the playoffs and ultimately didn't get over the hump. But I don't know. Like, I don't know what Memphis is I, I doing. I want to ask you one question, though. Like the big question, the big hanging meatball, I think. I think the Lakers coaching situation is just so interesting because, as you mentioned, LeBron is really difficult to coach. Expectations are still going to be high next year, especially if they get a decent star. Um, and then there's always this Lakers thing of like in the family, keeping it in the family. Does this guy a Laker, you know, part of the club, you know, so annoying. That's why, that's why they're going to ultimately end up hiring Ty Lue. You know that, right? Not because. Because he checks both boxes, like team LeBron and team Lakers. Correct. And look, the bottom line is like, I think everyone underrates Ty Lue. Like he outcoached guys in, in the playoffs in 2016. Like he did a really good job. Like he got dealt a terrible hand in Cleveland after LeBron left, like just as a lame duck. But Tyloo is not an, an incapable coach. He may not be the best coach out there, but in terms of what you need to do, like you said, you check the boxes. Like you played for the Lakers, you've coached LeBron in the past. LeBron respects you. That's the guy you got to hire. I, I understand it, I, I, and I agree that his playoff adjustments some of them are good, and he, he outcoached a few coaches in the playoffs. Defensive-minded coach whose defense was atrocious. They were terrible. The yeah, terrible. And they'll be their defense. Their defense will be batting in next year because because at this point LeBron's not going to be the defensive stalwart that he needs. I the one guy that I would say I, I don't even I haven't heard him rumored for the job, so it sounds like it's not going to happen. Monty Williams, people seem to like. I, I don't know about that. Um, no disrespect to your buddy Taylor Jenkins in Milwaukee, but I, I think Darvin Ham if they if they interview him. For Milwaukee, I don't know how he's like behind the scenes, but just in terms of pedigree, has some street cred from being a player. And I think if I'm the Lakers, I'd look at Milwaukee and be like, "Look, how did they build the team around Giannis? Let's do that with LeBron. Let's add length and add shooting." The, the problem with that is is that you're talking about hiring a coach who's not going to make any of those decisions. Like ultimately, Rob Palenka is clearly staying. They're going to hire another general manager, and it needs to be somebody who is able to look Jeannie Buss and Rob Plink in the eyes and be like, guys, this is not working. Like, we need to do something better. It needs to be someone who can stand up to LeBron. I think that Darvin, the two names that I've heard the most other than, not not just for the Lakers, but I've, I've a lot of people, Chris Finch is a guy that you've talked about before, and I think he will ultimately get a shot in this coaching carousel. I, I think that he or Darvin Ham, one of those two guys will get the Cleveland job. But those- I think he, I think there's, I think Chris Finch is, you know, right now, if you don't know, he's an assistant on New Orleans. I think he's probably the best coaching candidate out there. Seems like I it. don't see, I, I don't like him for, for the Lakers just because, you know, he seems like, you know, I don't want to say he's like David Blatt, but he has like a system that really works and it's, it's more predicated on pace and ball movement. And I don't see LeBron listening to some coaches. System. And, th- and that's my thing. It's like, look, like I, I want Monty Williams just given like who Monty Williams is and what you see of him on TV and kind of what happened to him in his life. Like Monty Williams deserves another chance and, and feels like a really good person and a really good role model going to the Lakers. Isn't, you know, I, I don't want that to be his chance. Like you ultimately you're like, this is a great job because you get to coach LeBron and you can get fired again in a year. Like that, this is, this is the, the issue with this. And that's why, like I said, ultimately I think it's going to be Ty Lue. I, I really do. And I and part of me feels like that's the best decision for the Lakers. Even though I don't think Ty Lue's the best coaching candidate out there, he may be the best fit for that job specifically. Because, like I said, he he did win a title, and, and you know 
in spite of him, maybe some, but you're right. He adjusted well in the playoffs and LeBron clearly listens to him. Like, yes, there were times where it's kind of like, is LeBron calling plays here? Does he back talk Tyloo? Sure. But like, if LeBron is willing to listen to somebody, maybe Tyloo's that guy. And so, well, I, I don't know if LeBron listens to him as much as like, he's comfortable with him, maybe because Tyloo doesn't push back. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I think it's like the guy who dates like a wallflower girlfriend. Like that's his type because he likes to talk a lot. You know, like that's comfortable for him. So he doesn't want to clash with some lady who's chatting too much. He wants to be the star of the show. I think LeBron's like that. Like he has a type of coach that he, he likes um, that kind of is more of a lieutenant for him. Exactly. But all, but ultimately, Zan, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head when you said this whole like Laker family thing. The Lakers are never going to be good until they realize that like the Laker family is just not a real thing anymore. You know, like it's just it's just not. My line is like, you know, keeping in a family is great, but it's also a great way to like be inbred, you know, like, and it's that. And, and immediate reaction, you, the first gut check in LA, at least from what I hear when I'm not swaddling and burping a baby is that, um, you know, their, their first gut reaction is always, it's always Phil Jackson, number one, but after people die, get over that. Like, who's a Laker? Who has the Laker spirit? Brian Shaw is on the bench right now. You know, he's a it Laker. It would be a terrible hire. Like, he's awful. You gotta, you just have to get over that. You need fresh blood. You have to. And and that's, and again, like Ty Lue, like journeyman NBA player, like played for the Lakers. So it's great. You can say it checks the box, but like, same thing with the general manager search. Like you just, you just need somebody who is willing to get in there and tell Jeannie Buss, like you have mismanaged your franchise. Tell Rob Palenka, like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but it's not working. <laughs> and just be like, look, like, let me come in and let me make this team around LeBron. Because I'm not saying that it's not hard to do, but like we see, we have seen the blueprint for how LeBron can be successful. Just make him give the ball up a little bit more. Put shooters around him. Make those guys switchy wings who can who can absolutely defend. Put a stretch five in there and then just let it work. Like, I'm not saying the Lakers wouldn't have made the playoffs if LeBron didn't get hurt. They probably would have. But this team is not we're, – we're not seeing a team that was close to 50 wins. Like maybe they would have gotten 46 wins and been the 7 or 6 seed, like possibly. But this iteration of the Lakers at full strength is was never, ever, ever, ever beating Houston or Denver or Golden State. Like they are far away from that. So you need to go in and overhaul this team. And trading for Anthony Davis, maybe that's right, but it, maybe it's not. You know, no, it's, I think it's right. Because I, I, I don't think – we're talking about Kawhi Leonard. We're talking about Tevin Durant. I don't think those guys want to go play caddy. I don't think so either. And fight for power. So and it seems like Anthony Davis does. Yeah, that's and part of it, right? Agent. So if I was them, I, I think that's the Lakers' best path. We can talk about coaches. Can Ty Lue give them one extra win, two extra wins? You know, it, it's marginal. Um, but if I'm them, I would go to Rich Paul and say, look – like, let's get this Anthony Davis trade done now. And I think, you know, Griffin in New Orleans, his hands are a little tied. You know, we talked about he should wait into the offseason. But if Anthony Davis just flat out refuses to sign an extension with any other team but the Lakers, it's going to be hard to trade him to any well, other Well, it's going to be hard to get a package worthwhile, you know, and that's where... Because I'm sure David Griffin would love to trade him. Like, if the Bulls get the number one pick, I would love to trade him to the Bulls. No one is trading. I'll tell you this right now. Not one team in the NBA is trading the number one pick for Anthony Davis. Not one. I, I okay, will. Well, you know, let's say the number two pick. The in. number two pick. Yeah, sure. But no team in the NBA is trading the number one pick for Anthony Davis. They're not giving up on seven years of Zion and what that means. No owner will ever sign off on that. It won't happen. I understand. I, I agree. But let's say like Chicago gets the number one pick. That opens the lane for trading for Laurie Marketing. It opens the lane for trading for Wendell Carter. Right. right. Um, right. You, there's a lot you can do. But no. T- to your point, like no team is going to 
take Anthony Davis, gut their team for one year. Right, and I'm not even saying that I think that Anthony that Zion will be anywhere close to as good as Anthony Davis. I, I don't know that. I think he's going to be really good, as we've talked about. But, like, I'm not – no no owner is just uh, – you know, like, the teams like the Bulls or the Suns. Like, if you get Zion Williamson, like, you sell your season tickets out immediately, you know. And if you well, trade for like, Anthony Davis, you're not selling your season tickets out. And the Lakers don't give a fuck. Like, their fans are very fickle to begin with. So, like, it doesn't make sense, well, let's say you know? this is, like, deep hypothetical and the cap – barely works out let's say that griffin does lebron a solid and he's like look i'll just give you my veterans because we're going to go into a rebuild um anthony davis each one more and let's just say for the sake of argument drew holiday and then that eats up their cap space so the lakers are now like a mishmash of the the pelicans and lakers it's drew holiday each one more lebron and anthony davis is that team a title Maybe, 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 no. maybe. I think maybe. so. I think so personally. It doesn't work because like Etwan Moore makes too much money. Drew Holiday makes too much. I mean, that's your three max players are Anthony Davis, LeBron, and Drew Holiday. Like, I think they could technically do it just because it would fold under the cap space. But um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I like I like Drew a lot. I think he's a good fit next to LeBron. And obviously, Anthony Davis is. That's why I said like maybe LeBron will just say like, "Hey, trade me to New Orleans, and everything's fine." And the Lakers should do that, but you know they obviously won't. So. But anyway, that's that. You got me on the coaching thing. You got me on the LeBron thing. But let's. Uh, we will be back on Thursday, right? We'll we'll talk through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday playoffs and see if maybe some of the stuff we talked about here was a little bit overreactionary. But I, I, I you know, I, I feel like it was a good first two days. I'd like to see a few less blowouts, a few more close games. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine even watching a minute of Boston and Indiana. That series was so boring. The second quarter just like put me to sleep. But other than that, pretty exciting. Uh, last couple weeks in the NBA, Zan. Get some sleep if you can. I'm sure it's going to be very difficult, but uh, I haven't. You haven't heard a baby. No, that's yet. true. This has been anything. very good. Zan getting up at 6 a.m. Pacific to make this happen. That's how committed he was to getting back to the show. But well, that's that's a great way to keep babies asleep. Make them listen to our podcast, and they just drone off talking about Westbrook again. She says, "Good night." I do appreciate Chris Hordell filling in for you, but like I said, we'll do this now Monday and Thursday. Probably post in the afternoon. So, as always, email the show, xandrickellison at gmail.com. He is Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter. I am at CYS Tyler, and we'll be back next week. And thanks to everybody who listened. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 